Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. Afternoon, my name is Ames. I'm an alcoholic. It's a great honor for uh, somebody to ask me to speak on AA's 70th birthday, and for uh, <clears throat> for somebody to even ask me that that just you know blew me away. I've uh, owe my uh, life as it is today to the program Alcoholics Anonymous. It's changed. Uh, the way a, a person completely from uh, from being, you know, I, I used to say I, I hated white people. Then I thought about it, you know, and I, I hated about everybody, you know, equally. And and uh, I wasn't prejudiced. I just hated everybody, you know. And and uh, and I didn't I didn't love like the situation I grew up in. A lot of things happened that before I was born that. That shaped my life, and I was brought in into that world. And I, I always said, you know, if if you was the way, you know, in my situation, and and uh, had to face the things I faced, you'd be an alcoholic too. But uh, I, uh, I came to Las Vegas with that attitude. I was forever a victim, and I could always, uh, you know, put it off saying, "Well, I'm an Indian." If if you was Indian like me, then you know all that stuff. You, you could understand. I drank, you know, and and uh, I was two years dry when I got here, and uh, I ended up in this. Uh, I was kind of lost. This Thai club used to have two buildings, and and in the back was this uh, dilapidated part of Thai club, and there was some old benches, that, you know, old couches that were real sunk down and uh, all you know smoky and. All the old farts in there always looked like they were fighting, ready to fight, you know, arguing. And I had this friend that took me to that meeting, and uh, George was part of that group, you know. They, and they, they started taking this victim stuff right out of me. I always explain, well, there's ten of us in my family, and nine are alcoholic. You know, the one that didn't drink should be drinking, and um, you know, and and uh, they'd say, well, what about the one that didn't drink? Did she ever go to jail? And I said, no. In fact, I said, uh, she finished college and she's working for IBM. So she's never drank and she's never gone to jail. Never done the stuff you've done. And the nope, they said, well, then, then not all Indians are alcoholics. You know? And then they, they said, uh, Amos, you know what? You're dying from alcoholism. You're not dying from Indianism. You know? And, and they, and they started taking the, the, the victimization out of me. And and I didn't like that, you know. I get a lot of mileage out of being a victim, you know. I could get away with stuff, you know. But what 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 these guys done is they they started just making me a little bit more honest, making me more a little bit more responsible for my actions, a little bit more responsible for uh, going to work on time, you know, going uh, doing the things I got to do, like pay my rent, and. Uh, <clears throat> And and I would come in with these all kinds of stories and they'd they'd laugh and say, you know what? <laughs> you could tell it to somebody else, but you ain't gonna tell that to us, you know. We know you too good. 
<clears throat> so th- that started to change in me. You know, I was I was full of fear. I was, I was full of hatred. I was full of anger. And I was, you know, scared most of the time of things I couldn't do anything about. What these guys done to me is that they introduced me to the program Alcoholics Anonymous and, and started doing the steps. And they started uh, the process of learning there's a higher power in my life and uh, and that if I if I learn to do the right things and learn to trust in Him, things will work out. And then uh, it's been a long process, you know. I've 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 learned how to get a life as a result of these guys. You know, my life was uh, beer joints and back alleys and blood banks and day labor and jail. In anything between that, you know, and uh, through these guys, you know, uh, they they started uh, started the process of making me uh, a more responsible person, not necessarily a better person, you know. That comes with time. Uh, now I'll kind of give you where I came from. I came from the uh, Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. It's in the southwest corner of South Dakota, and. Uh, Growing up there, I didn't know it was such a horrible place because it was just normal. Everybody drank on every, any weekend. You know, it was not, not not safe to be around my house or anywhere near the vicinity. You know, I got, I'm the sixth brother. There's five older brothers than me, and they're all bigger than me and meaner, and, and, you know, because I learned how to run quickly, you know, when I was a kid. I learned how to hide and I learned to duck, you know. And, uh, one of my brother's biggest, biggest, uh, recreation was cleaning out a bar on the weekend, you know. That's what he liked to do for fun. You know, and, uh, my dad was alcoholic. My mom. The only one that didn't drink that I know was my sister and my grandma. And my, my grandma was one of the, probably the cornerstones of my life, you know. Uh, we didn't know how old grandma was. You say, Grandma, how old are you? She said, 89. She was 89 for about 20 years, so <laughs> you know, we didn't know how old she was. But she could tell you back before the white guys came to our part of the country, you know. And and she could talk all day long. She talking our, we we call it Sioux, it's Lakota, you know, the language. So I didn't I didn't talk English till I went to school, and, and uh, I thought, you know. Uh, and she'd tell us all kinds of stories, you know, and I respected grandma, cause she had a cane, and, you know, and, and, and you didn't listen to grandma, she'd lay it on side of you, you know, on side of your head. You know, she didn't, there were ten of us in my family, so my mom didn't know counseling or any of that kind of stuff. Either you didn't, you did it or you was on the ground, you know. And, and uh, you know, on weekends my older brother would go to, they worked all week on weekends. They'd go to town and then they see who they get in a fight with at the bar. And if they didn't couldn't find anybody there, they'd come home and get in a fight with each other, you know. And then my dad would be refereeing, you know. And, and I'm saying, man, this is—I don't know if this is normal living, but that's that's the way I grew up. And uh, you know, it was okay. I don't know if it was okay or not, but I was uh, the. The U.S. government formed this branch of government called the Bureau of Indian Affairs. And their job was to make us white guys, to assimilate us into society. 
And the BIA, we call it Boss Indians Around, you know. And, and, uh, they, their, their job was to make you a white guy. How could you do that, you know? Hundreds of years of culture and everything like that. You're supposed to become a white guy within about two or three weeks, two or three weeks, you know? <laughs> How that could happen for, they take you to, I went to this boarding school, I just turned six years old, and, and they said, okay, first of all, they lined us up, just like a boot camp. You know, took your clothes away from you, shaved your ball, and then, uh, assigned you numbers and gave you beds and, and then the first thing they say is, well, you, you can't talk your language anymore. You gotta learn how to speak English. And then you get, you get, uh, you get punished pretty bad for speaking your language. And then the next thing they did is, okay, whatever beliefs you had, you don't got them anymore. They all lined us all up like in a row. They said, you guys are Episcopals and you guys are Catholics. I thought, what the hell Episcopal is, but it, it was bad, you know. Because <laughs> I was going to go someplace for being a human being, you know. Someplace hot, someplace, someplace horrible. And, and, and I'm a boy, I got thoughts, okay, you know. And then I'm supposed to go to some place I couldn't even understand what the, this thing is. But every, every, uh, every weekend they make us get into those suits and they march us down to this church and then tell us about how we're going to go to this burning inferno, you know, for, for things we didn't even know we'd done. And, and then they go back and then they tell us, uh, your culture's no good. You know, your language is no good. You're going to have to learn this English language. You're going to have to learn to work. You're going to have to do all this stuff. And you're supposed to accomplish that. And then when you get out of there, you're supposed to go out there in society and then start being a productive human being, right? Well, it don't work. First of all, when they start doing that stuff to you, you start getting what you call self-loathing. You start getting what you call low self-esteem. You start hating yourself for who you are. And you got no, no, nothing, nothing to do with this stuff. And it prepared me to a life of an of an alcoholic because I had no higher power. I had no no nobody to turn to when I when I get through these situations where most normally you say, okay, it's God's will. Me, I'll say it's the damn Christopher Columbus should have never got lost, you know, you know? <laughs> or it's, it's the U.S. government or the Bureau of Indian Affairs or the cops, you know. I, I never knew that my actions would get me in these situations. And uh, <clears throat> I ended up, you know, I finished that that uh, boarding school. I, I, I graduated high school, and I barely graduated the last two years. I, mean, I barely did the last two years, you know, because by that time my mom passed away, and I didn't have nowhere to go on weekend on, during during the week. I mean, during the school, so I'd go back to the boarding school and hang out just because I had nowhere to go. And uh, so I graduated. And then what what do you think I did when I graduated? I drink. I was drinking hard by then. So I, I, a couple of few of my brothers uh, lived in Denver, and uh, they were on their way down, and they drank at a place called Larimer Street, you know. And I went down, I was 18 years old, 19 years old when I was down Larimer Street. I loved it down there. Yeah, this is just a free-for-all, <laughs> 24 hours a day. And uh, I didn't, you know, because uh, it still worked for me at times, that, the alcohol. It still worked for me. It still took away the, the situations I was in. It took, it took away reality for a time being. And I was down there for, off and on the streets like that, and for the next ten years.
You know, I've got all kinds of scars, and <laughs> you know, I don't, I'm lucky I'm alive. You know, and um, in in that time, I went from uh, see, I went down to California, then I went to Phoenix, I went to Albuquerque, I went back to Denver. All in that situation, always in the same situation, always like two notches up above the street. Always, always like having a couple, two, three warrants over my head. I was looking over my shoulder. Cops are looking for me. You know, I went to an, uh, one of these big shot AA meetings one time. They asked this question. When do you, the question is, when do you uh, think you got to move, right? I said, that's easy. When you got more warrants than you could pay, you know. That's when you move, you know. You know, and uh, I, I just lived that way. I didn't know that there was another way of living. I didn't know. My, my whole family were alcoholics. Everywhere I went, there was a alcoholic. Uh, and when there was a situation, I settled it the way I was doing. I either ran, I got drunk, and I always ended up in trouble. And um, I, I wish I could tell you different, but that's the way I grew up. A lot of my people grew up that way. On that, in the, on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, the average age, the, the age that the people live is like 40 years old. That's the longest they're going to live. And most of that's going to be in misery. And it's one of the biggest ghettos you've ever seen. It's like 100 miles, 150 miles long. And most people die by the time they're in their 30s because of this disease, car accidents, death, uh, shootings, knifings, uh, freezing the dead. Most of the guys I went to high school with are dead. And, you know, I'm 51 now. I go back, they call me an elder. You know, and that's, 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 that's kind of bad because then I'm only 51 and most people don't make it my age. That's a bad disease. It's, it's, it'll kill most, most of my people. And I'm, I'm really fortunate that, that I ended up where I did in Alcoholics Anonymous. And then, you know, uh, I ended up standing on a street corner. I, I lived two blocks off of Larimer Street under a tree. And, uh, that was my home. And there were, it was a good morning I'd get up and I'd have a jug of white pork that I'd kind of choke down and I'd go down and start blaming everybody else for where I'm at. But that morning I was standing, I didn't have a, I didn't have any, so I was standing in the corner with my buddies. The boys, you know, at the corner. And here somebody scored a jug, white port, and, uh, passed it around, and I took a drink, and it went down, and I was just, hit my stomach, and I was, uh, eyes are watering, and then I didn't want to throw it up, and it's coming out of my nose, and, you know, and uh, if you hold it down, then maybe the magic will hit, and then you could start saying, okay, and damn Christopher Columbus, you know, and he started blaming everybody else, and, but that morning, it did stay down, but I, you know, I was tired. I started looking around, started seeing, I've been doing this stuff all my life, you know, and I'm tired and I'm sick and I don't want to do this anymore, you know, and I, and, uh, you know, in Alcoholics Anonymous, they say there's a higher power and he intervenes, you know, in, in people. And in the big book, it says about this Eskimo is going to show up. Well, my, my Eskimo was another buddy of mine, Sioux Indian. He showed, he's calling me from across the street and I lost my glasses. So I couldn't see who it was, but in my situation, you don't go across the street. Somebody's calling you. You probably did something wrong, you know. You probably stole something or did something. And, uh, he, he, uh, 
So I went over there for some reason that morning. It was Harley. Harley said, what are you doing? I said, I don't know. <laughs> you know, so where's, where's your daughter? I said, I don't know. You know, what you going to do? I, I really don't know. You know, and uh, he said, you know, uh, I've been sober 14 months. And that blew me away because Harley and I, we drank together. We, we drank hard. And my only claim to fame is we got kicked out of every bar we ever been in. And, and, uh, and we even got kicked out of the parking lots too, you know. The people just didn't want us around. And, and, uh, he, uh, he said, if you go to this place called Eagle Lodge for 30 days, I'll help you get a job and we'll go find your daughter, you know. And I had no, no ideas. So I said, okay. And I, you know, uh, I went into this, uh, place called Denver Saves. You know, this detox we down there, got down there is a good detox compared to Denver Cares, you know. It's a room, a big old warehouse, converted warehouse, they have cots lined up just like, just like a warehouse, you know, and they have, uh, people in there, they just house you men and women together, you know, and, and, uh, you go in there and you, uh, they, they detox, you know, they take your clothes away, give you a shower, they louse you, and then they give you these pajamas on. And then you go over there and you detox. However long it takes. And they have doctors and nurses and stuff available to, you know, help you out, get through that. And, uh, <clears throat> and I was, you know, every time I bent over, man, it was bad. <laughs> you know, I drank for about a year straight that time, you know, and I went in there and I, and I, I was sick. I, I, I just couldn't hardly move. And, uh, I was there about three days when it, when when the other, the other thing that happened in my life is that the other part of Alcoholics Anonymous came is, is, uh, I was laying there and I was looking around and I said, what are you doing here, you know? I thought you started out to do better than this. And then it hit, hit me that, you know what, Amos, you drink too much. When you drink, you don't care. You don't really give a shit. And it goes to the end of the world to get another one. And, uh, that time they brought these AA meetings and, and I went to one and, didn't really sink in, but I knew these guys were happy, you know, and I knew they were, they were laughing, you know, and after the AA meeting, they'd get in their car and go home. You know, they were paying their bills. And if you give me any money at that period of time, I wasn't going to pay no bill. <laughs> I'd go down to the corner liquor store. And, uh, that was the appeal of Alcoholics Anonymous. And one of the things that happened to me, I was standing there in line with this guy to eat, and, uh, I was talking to him, I turned back around, and I turned back around, and his eyes rolled up, and he hit dirt, and he was just flopping all over the place, and the ambulance came, they took him away, and then when they brought him back, he couldn't talk. He went through a seizure, and he couldn't talk anymore, he could barely walk, and it just, he's the same age as me, and it just scared me. It's one of the things that made me think that I drink just as, I was drinking in the parks with him, I drink just like him. There, I, there he is, he can't walk, or can't hardly talk. And I, I start realizing that, you know what, <laughs> I need to do what these guys say in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know. I know, I need to know, find out what these guys do to make them be happy and make them have a life. So, from there I went to the Eagle Lodge Alcohol Treatment Center and, uh, <clears throat> you know, and I'm, I'm real prejudiced. I, you know, I've worked hard on this for a lot of years, you know. And one of my best friends sitting out there is a cowboy, you know. Indian hugging a cowboy. What's it? You know, that's good. But I was, every time I go to an AA meeting, I'm the only Indian there, right? And so I'm always, okay, there, there's my excuse, you know, this, 
AAs for white guys only. So I said, oh, well, there's my excuse. And so there I was stumbling through the book. They have this book, right? I was coming through it, and then it opened to this uh, chapter called Join the Tribe, in third edition. And then and there it says uh, that there's a guy named Maynard. He was in there. And then it just hit me, and I said, you know what? If he's in there and he could do this, I can try it too. And I could, and he says, just keep it real simple. He says, uh, if uh, Indians get crazy when drunk, you know, join the tribe, you know. I'm sure all of us got crazy when it got drunk, you know. So, you know, and uh, so I started going to AA. And then uh, some people, you know, care about us people. One of them was my counselor, and she said, she talked to me for a long time. She said, you know, you seem to be a pretty intelligent guy, Amos. And I said, yeah, but I keep messing up, you know. Every time I almost finish something, every time I'm close to doing something, I get drunk. And I, I had such low self-esteem, you know. She said to me, she said, you're not a bad guy, Amos. And that's the first time in my life somebody told me I'm not a bad guy. My jaw dropped down to my chin. And she says, you're an alcoholic. You got a disease, a disease. But you can pretty much do what it takes in this world to go look for your daughter and finish school and do all that stuff you want to do if you don't take a drink and you go to work and you do the things that you got to do. So they talked me into going back to college. You know, and I'm, I'm 30 years old, Nick. I went back to college, you know. And, and I was the oldest one in my class. And they called, they called me Pops, you know. And, you know and, but I said, man, ain't nobody had a second chance like me. For all the, all the years I've been on the streets and I had a chance to go back to college. I went back. <clears throat> and I used to be really good in, 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 in the classroom when I was paying attention, you know. And, uh, but, you know, I went back to school. I couldn't read anymore, you know, and I had a hard time with comprehension. All those, all those blows to the head and all those, all the drinking and all the stuff that I had done. I couldn't, couldn't retain stuff. So what, what I did was I stayed up all night. I still have a hard time sleeping. I only sleep three or four hours a night. But I stayed up all night and I studied and restudied and wrote it down, redid it over and over again. And, uh, I didn't have any money because I'd done Messed up the tribal funding more than once. So I, I used to, on, uh, well, uh, a couple times a week I'd go down to this place called, uh, the plasma. So my first semester when I went back to school, I sold my plasma twice a week. I get my shampoo, my, uh, toothbrush and all that stuff. But, uh, towards the end of the first semester I started, started comprehending a little bit. But then, uh, the grades came out and I made the presence list, you know. I staying up all night, and then they did it, did a couple more times, and when then when I was ready to graduate, this is how I ended up in Vegas. I applied to these companies like IBM and all these fancy companies, and they they look at my resume and then call up and look at my jail record, and and uh, they they say, okay, thanks for uh thanks for your interest, you know, and then they kind of forget about me, you know. And I must have put over over 100 applications, and I got turned down every time. And I was ready, I was ready to go back to Denver, and I know I could work on TV, so I went back to school for electronics, technician, and, uh, just before I was gonna go back, my, my instructor said, there's somebody coming from Vegas, and, uh, I want you to go talk to him for me. And I said, well, he really treated me good, you know, this instructor, and he treated me like a 
human being, so I thought, well, okay, I'll just do it for him, you know. And I was just going to go with just a regular T-shirt and stuff on. That's how I dress normally. And they said, no, he must. My roommates got together and made a, <laughs> put a suit together for me. Was, I guess that's the first time I wore a suit most of my life. And I, I went to the interview, and they had a big old long line of people. You know, this guy's were all Air Force vets and you name it. And uh, I was like the second guy there because I'd never hardly sleep, you know. Those sprinklers come on early. You're living in the parks, you know. And <laughs> so I was like the second guy there, you know. And uh, so they, uh, this guy went, and then then I went. And then he looked at my stuff, you know, and he started looking at it, and he says, Ah, I see you've been around a lot. And I said, you know, I raised my hand. <laughs> I said, you know what, well, I need to get this over with. You know, I know I ain't going to pass this interview anyway. So I, I told him I'm an alcoholic. You know what, I'm an alcoholic. And he said, he looked at me for a while, and he said, uh, what made you stop? And I said, well, I, I ain't, I'm not getting any younger. I'm almost 30 years old. And then never gonna get any better. And, uh, he said, okay. So, how long has it been? Almost a couple of years now. And he said, okay. And then he started asking me for the technical questions and I passed them. And then he said, okay, thanks. So I went out of there and I said, no, I ain't gonna get this. And I, just like two months before I graduated. So I was making plans going back up to Denver. And, and here, uh, four days later, this guy called back and wanted more information on me. He said, I'm going to send you a pack, fill out so we can, uh, we can, uh, consider your application, right? So, they sent me a pack and it was this thick. It's about an inch thick, you know. And they said, where have you been in the last 15 years? <laughs> That's one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. <laughs> Trying to figure out where I've been in the last 15 years, you know. <laughs> and then it says, uh, list all the jobs you've had in the last 15 years. <laughs> I said, okay, well, let's see. I've been self-employed a lot, you know. <laughs> you know? And, and then the, the next thing they say is, list all the times you've been in jail, right? <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> After about the second page, I got tired and went to sleep. <laughs> then I put, if I did it, if it's, you know, if it's there, I probably did it, you know. And then I, I then I fill it all out and I send it in. And they said, no, for sure they're not going to hire me, you know. And about two weeks later, they, they sent an application, I mean, an uh, offer in the mail. This company is called EG&G, if anybody ever heard of the company. And uh, I, uh, so I said, okay, I sent it back, and, and uh, they paid for my move out here. I'm still there, same company. You know, it's, uh, it's over almost 19 years now, you know. And Next year, I could retire if I want to, you know. That's coming from the streets, living under a tree to, you know, next year I can start drawing pension and do something else. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous, all the time, I went to meetings every day, sometimes three or four times a day on Saturdays, because I don't know how to live without taking a drink. And these guys taught me how to how to go through situations without taking a drink, how to face life without getting too stressed out. How to not get in physical confrontations. <laughs> that was my answer, you know. And, and, and how to, how to pay my bills. You know, I, I didn't know anything about benefits. This guy, uh, George was talking about catfish. I thought benefit was a free meal, right? So I showed up at this job and they gave me a pack of this thing, thick, and they say, okay, you get this insurance, that insurance. You do this, you do that. That was way over my head. I, 
I went over and give it to catfish, and catfish looked at it. You don't want this. You don't want that. You know, let's throw all this stuff out. And, and so you got to save 16%. Or $16, 16%. I don't know which one, but he's put it, signed it down. So I've been doing that all these years, paying, you know. And um, in, in, in the meantime there, while I was doing all that, I uh, I came to Las Vegas, and I started going to the men's downbeat group Monday night. And, uh, and, uh, I would often wonder where my daughter was, you know. And they'd always say, you know what? You, you gotta have faith in God. She'll show up when, when the time is right. So I, it took me like five years after I sobered up and I finally, I finally found her. She was living in Winslow and, uh, <clears throat> like, when I found her, she didn't know who I was. You know, I, I got a chance to go pick her up on a, on a, on a vacation. I went down there and I waited a day and they brought her back from the reservation up there and, uh, she didn't know who I was, but they, they told her, that's your dad, you know, and so she got in the car with me and, you know, all my life before that, I always make promises to people, to anybody, I'll do this and I'll do that. But if you put a drink in front of me, that promise is gone. I'd rather drink. And, uh, so I took her down to Walmart and we started walking around and I bought her some clothes and she was looking at this bike, a little nice bike, with, you know, ribbons all over it. You could tell she wanted it, so I said, you can have it. And she, she didn't believe me, but I grabbed it and I took it over to the checkout stand, and, you know, and, uh, she, she just couldn't believe it, you know, and I said, yeah, you know, and then, uh, we went to vacation up there in, uh, Denver. She didn't know me, you know. She she just knew me as Amos, and she didn't even hug me. She just like tell me when she's hungry, tell me when she needs to go bathroom, you know. And uh, we got up to Denver and went to visit my sister for a while, and, and we went all over Colorado, you know, and not down Skid Row where I'm used to. You know, we went to the sites, you know, and, you know, and carnivals and stuff like that, and. Uh, and on the way way back, we stopped in Winslow and dropped her off, and she gave me a hug. You know, and then that was like in August, I mean in <clears throat> July. And then I had contact with her, so I'd send her some money and I clothes and stuff, and I bought her school clothes. And that that December, they said that I could keep her for the holidays. So I went after her, and when I got over there, they said, "You want to keep her?" You know, I said, "Yeah." So I brought her back. She was nine years old. You know, and uh, <clears throat> today she's 25. You know, she's I've raised her. You know, uh, you know, alcoholism runs deep. It's it's very bad. It's an insidious disease. It'll kill you. And no matter how many times you've been in AA or whether you grew up in AA or not, she she grew up in the front of a Thai club, and uh, she's hanging out with Texas Mike, and John Todman. One of them taught her how to stack a deck. I don't know which one did it, you know. But she's nine years old. She's going, you know. And I said, where'd you learn that? And they also taught her not to tell on anybody. <laughs> you know, she would never, never tell who did it, you know. And but uh, you know, uh, I got to be a soccer dad, you know. And we we went all over taking vacations and everything. And uh, her mom sobered up and. Start talking to her mom, and when she's 13, she ran away. You know, back back down there. She's used to that chaotic lifestyle. It's it's very hard to leave that. In the second step, it says her 
lifestyle seems the only normal one, even no matter how, how rough it is. And she went back and, uh, about a year or so later, you know, uh, I moved to Wyoming, one of my good ideas. And, uh, she came to live with me and I found out she was pregnant. She was 14. You know, and, uh, she had a baby when she was 15. That, that's Lucas, you know. And, and then I had, you know, what am I gonna do? Put the baby back, you know? You know, and I started raising him. Taking care of him. And then, uh, a couple of years later, she took off again. And then, a while later, she came back, she had a little girl. That's, that's Leah. <clears throat> She's seven. They live with me yet, you know. And they, uh, I have a good time with them guys, you know. I must be the same age as them mentally, because I sure have a good time, you know. <laughs> We go fishing together, you know. We just have a good time, you know. And that's what it's about, you know, having time and being able to laugh, being able to cry, being able to live, live life to the fullest. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, a couple of, four years ago, four and a half years ago, she came back and she didn't say nothing. She just came back. I was just happy to have her back and she didn't say nothing. She just started going to AA, you know, she's been to AA a lot of times and she went and got working on her GD. And she started gaining a little weight, you know. And uh, how, how are you going to tell your daughter she's gaining weight, you know? So, so I said, you know what? I got this corporate gym membership. <laughs> Go over there. She didn't say nothing. And then uh, it was like in the spring, she uh, she came with little gram things that I says that's that's a baby. And I said, Ooh, which one is that, Lucas or Leo? She said that's a new one. She's pregnant again, you know. Didn't tell me. And, uh, the little baby, uh, born May 31st, four years ago. My dad didn't even show up. Dad didn't even try to show up. I was in the delivery room. And, uh, <clears throat> so the baby had my last name, you know, and, uh, so I, you know, took the baby home and everybody, all of my friends were there and, you know, and, uh, then, then my daughter had this, what you call, cold, some kind of, uh, syndrome. Just went in depression for a couple of months and I had to really talk to her about, you know, you gotta take care of these other guys, you know, you gotta help her out, help these guys out. Postpartum was you know, and finally I had to, you know, really hard being a parent. You really hard trying to get these kids to do something when their whole life's been chaotic. And, uh, so I said, you know, I was buying a house, another house, so I said, you can have this one. My job is right over there. You know, and, and then I'll be right over there if you need me. She didn't want to live alone. She said, I'm going to go to Albuquerque. And, uh, I'm going to go to school over there. So, I, much as I hated to, my sponsor said she's an adult now. You got to take her, you know. So I took her down there and came from South Dakota to be with me at that time. And then, so I left her in Albuquerque, you know, and then, and then I, I had a tough time coming back and, this was like Labor Day, and she was up there a couple of months, and uh, I got a call on November 1st that the little baby passed away. Uh, what do you call him? Sid, Sid's, you know, and that was tough. I'm telling you, I went through like depression for over almost three years, you know, because of guilt feelings of <clears throat> taking her down there. And, uh, but you know what? I went to A every day. I went work with sponsors, I, I did all the stuff that they taught me to do that I could walk through this. And uh 
you know, uh, I finally was able to start talking about it last year. It took me over two years. I didn't have to drink over it because it says you don't have to drink over anything. You know, uh, job, no job, wife, no wife, death, anything like that. You don't have to drink over it. Because uh, taking a drink is never going to bring anybody back. Taking a drink is never going to make the situation any better. And uh, so she finally came back last year. I had to kick her out. Because she couldn't stop drinking and those little, little kids went back to their dad. I had to pick her out. I don't know where she went. It's tough. It's tough when you have to rely on God. Cause you, but he's got more power than me. You know, I'm, he's infinite. His power is infinite and my, I don't have any power. I just gotta have to rely on him. And, uh, he did his job, you know. Cause I just go to AA, that's my job, and help a newcomer. Don't drink. And one morning she showed up at a meeting. And that, that was a year ago. I think she's got a year of sobriety now, you know. And, <clears throat> and then, uh, so we went after the little guys. They, they still remember me, you know. And they still hang around, you know, I still hang around them. Today after this meeting, I got, I got to take them down to Arizona because they're going to go visit the grandma on the other side for the summer. They're part, they're part of Apache, so they got to go down there. The White River, Arizona. You know what? I, I can do that. You know, because I can learn how to. The situation different, and I, I can trust God today that everything's gonna work out. I've never been able to do that one time. <clears throat> uh, so that's that's part of that. As far as my, you know, in, in my job, I even got a white guy working for me now. <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> And, and you know what? He loves me, you know? <laughs> I, every time I'm gonna do something, boy, he runs all over trying to get it for me, you know? And I, and, 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 uh, one, one of the worst things is they're gonna take them away from me, oh, man. you know? I've, I've trained guys now, you know? And, uh, um, it's, it's okay today. I don't have the, the fantastic ups and fantastic downs. I'm kind of down in the middle. With uh, alcohol, you know, with life in general, I know that no matter what happens, everything's going to be all right in the end. I didn't have that when I got in. I thought the world was going to end about ten minutes ago. You know, I thought that way all the time. <clears throat> I got a whole bunch of friends today, and I've had friends for years. You know, back in the old days, I'd go through three sets of friends on one weekend. <laughs> the only guys that never did kick me out were the cops, you know. They, they'd say, "Come on in." They must, you know. You know. And when I went to when I went to treatment, that was I was the first one in my family to go go to uh, treatment or I mean, go to AA. And every time, you know, uh, I'd go to this treatment place, and some some family members would come and they have a picnic, you know, on front. And everybody would be all lovey dovey and stuff. And boy, I'd, I'd get mad because. Never happened to me, you know. My family came to borrow money. <laughs> and then one of them would try to fight me if I didn't lend him money. You know, this is, this is a treatment, you know. And I'm saying, man, you know, there's no justice in this world, you know. But you know what they told me that? No matter what, you gotta be sober. Because you may be the only example of a, a big book anybody will ever see. The fantastic thing is, you know, when, when my big brother Lester, the one that used to come to the treatment center, he died a couple of years ago. He was five years sober. 
you know, and then, and then I sobered up and I was sitting there talking to my big brother. I was trying to explain to him how to find a higher power, trying to work on that. And he's looking at me funny and he says, are you an AA? And I said, yeah. And he says, me too. You know, <laughs> and I got, I got three weeks on him, you know, and he's 10 years older than me. Uh, my last drink was February 2nd, 1984. I'm going on my 22nd year now. You know, I haven't been in jail in that long, too. That's that's good, <laughs> you know. <laughs> that's the, the good part. And then a little bit later, my sister was looking and said, you know what, i got a year today. She's got she's going to have 20 years this year. And then all the rest of them start coming in, my brothers and sisters and stuff. And they're all sober now. Most of them, a lot of them don't go to AA, but they're all sober. And, you know, when, when we get together, back in the old days, there'd be at least two or three cop cars, the ambulance, and, you know, the fire truck, and, Somebody would always pass out with a cigarette or, you know, trying to cook and pass out, you know. And and uh, now last in March we had a family get-together and a pizza truck showed up with about 30 pizzas, you know. You know, and we all laughed and had a good time. We're still friends. You know, in the old days, I, I didn't see a brother like five years. And I'd seen him and we got in a fight the same night. <laughs> Something happened 10 years ago or 20 years ago when I was a kid. I remember that, you know. And then we got into that over that, you know. Um, ain't no, you know, they're all, uh, uh, paradise, but it's, it's, it's pretty close. It's pretty close for me. Alcoholics Anonymous has, uh, done stuff. It's transformed somebody that's hated everybody to where I'm accepting. And, and I still don't like a lot of people, but I could live with that, you know. And, uh, I'm, uh, become a productive member of alcohol. Alcoholics Anonymous and society, you know, uh, just, uh, if you, if you don't think it works, just believe that we, you know, that, that we know it does, if you're a newcomer. They, they told me that, uh, you go to meetings. First thing you gotta do is don't drink one day at a time. Okay? And then go to meetings, get a sponsor, get that book. So it's this one. It's the least read book around. And, no. Anyway, and, and, and then work with a newcomer. And you do those things on a daily basis. And then your life will turn around. Uh, I've, uh, I've had a lot of friends that passed on. Alcoholics Anonymous. I've lost, uh, three sponsors. And passed away. Uh, I'm a fourth sponsor now. And, uh, George has been my friend all this time. And uh, he's always supported me. We buried one of our good buddies last spring, Catfish. Catfish was two, two days short of his 35th birthday, but we decided he's going to have 35 anyway. <laughs> and uh, I, was, I was there for his, uh, for his uh, funeral. I felt honored to be invited by his family. One of my sponsors passed away in Hawaii. You know, those guys showed me courage because they, they, they went through bad, through bad stuff, but they never complained. They were always grateful that they were members of Alcoholics Anonymous. And they was always able to talk to me and always want to help me out if I needed something. <clears throat> and, uh, that's, that's what these elders taught me. In my tribe, we got people that are, I'm one of them now, I guess, elders that got good advice. And AA, we got the old timers and they showed the way for us to, to live sober and have a happy, productive life. I generally go to the Thai club. It's my hangout. And uh, 
you can find me there sometime during the week. Yeah, I try I try to live honestly. I'm down to three lives a day. <laughs> if we believe that, I got rid of you know. And uh I don't know. It's his seventieth birthday. It could take anybody and make them uh something completely different. All you have to do is actions contrary to our thinking, he said. Yeah. Action contrary to our thinking. And uh Thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous, Bill W., Dr. Bob, and all the old timers that carried this program on through the dark times and to where it's now. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.